0: Welcome to Respect Life Radio. My name is Deacon Jeff Bennett with Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Denver, and our special guest today is John Brahaney from the National Catholic Bioethics Center. He's the Director of Institutional Relations, and we'll be talking today about reproductive technology and the Church teaching on it. But I thought, first, John, one I want to thank you for uh, coming on this morning and and let you tell our listeners a little bit about the National Catholic Bioethics Center.
1: Sure. Uh, and thanks for having me on. It's great. You know, the National Catholic Bioethics Center has been around for almost 50 years. We were founded in the year 1972, and that was a year before Roe versus Wade, and it was one year after the term bioethics was invented. You know, people had Basically, they had dealt with a lot of dilemmas about the dignity of human life and even emerging technology, but things really reached such a head in 1970-71 that they had to invent a whole new term. The National Catholic Bioethics Center was founded to be a resource uh, for the Church, for Catholic health care, for Catholic healthcare professionals, and it's it's been doing that work ever since. We've got three principal activities we engage in, education, publication, and consultation, and we serve a range of audiences with, with each of those things. We have a certificate program in healthcare ethics that if anybody... Healthcare professional or lay man or lay woman is interested in, they could do that. But we also educate the U.S. bishops every two years in a special conference. Uh, We publish a monthly newsletter and uh, a very uh, thick and substantive academic quarterly uh, uh, periodical. And finally, we consult. uh, We do everything from. Answer any bioethics question, twenty uh, four seven three sixty five by phone or email. We also work with Catholic healthcare institutions when they have complex problems. Uh, so we're doing a, a range of those activities. It's very rewarding, and the bioethical challenges don't go away. So uh, they just seem to get more and more uh, complex and numerous as we go.
0: Yeah, just when you think you've heard everything, you read another story or, or an article, and you're like, wow, I would have never thought about that.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, just uh, just last week, I think there was news out of Japan that they're going to uh, create a whole new level of what's called a, uh, a chimera, kind of a combination of cells of human beings, and I think it was rats. Uh, so anyway, yeah, the technology... Uh, just keeps getting more and more powerful. And then I suppose in the area of culture, you know, we don't see our culture here in the United States or or even around the world getting more and more Christian over time. In some respects, it seems to get more secular or, or, or to spin further out of orbit of some of our most important foundations.
0: Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And before I forget... Uh, what is your website because i've looked on there i don't know how many times it is such a valuable resource everybody should know about this website
1: yes it's uh ncb that's for national catholic bioethics center dot org so there's only one c uh in the middle of the thing ncb org
0: okay great i highly recommend anybody listening that they actually go to this there's a variety of topics, a wealth of information, podcasts, articles, all kind of stuff. It's fantastic. Uh, so John, I mean, one of the things I find when talking to people, they, either they don't know or it's convenient that they don't know, what the Church teaching is on reproductive technology. So can you talk about, when we're talking reproductive technology, what kind of, what kind of uh, technologies are we talking about? What kind of uh, procedures?
1: Yeah, it it's a range of things. Maybe we should focus on the most uh the most central and, in fact, probably the, the thing that's done the most today yeah. is in vitro fertilization and embryo transfer. So, essentially, uh, the creation, uh, the, the fertilization of a new human being in a petri dish, uh, you know, it's allowed to grow uh, for a period of hours to maybe a couple of days, and then it's transferred into a woman, uh, you know, to be to be carried for nine months. So that is the most central uh, thing. There's a lot of stuff that takes place before, uh, you know, that act. Right. Uh, sometimes the harvesting of gametes, sometimes the buying and selling of gametes. And there are some things that, that take place after, uh, sometimes surrogacy uh, contracts, sometimes uh something very tragic called uh multifetal pregnancy reduction where uh they might say you know you're you're carrying too many babies and we want to eliminate some of them but that's the central act uh the first time that that was done from everything from the petri dish to a baby being born was 1978 Uh, That baby was Louise Brown. And since then, I would say uh, a lot of places have been off at a gallop. So what does the Church teach about this? Uh, The Church has taught about this in a couple of important documents from the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, Uh, There was a document called Donum Vitae, uh, The Gift of Life. That came out in 1987, and then there was an update to that document called Dignitas Personae, Dignity of the Human Person, in 2008. And there are three, I would say, foundational principles that both of those uh, documents are organized around and then based on these principles there's a way to evaluate uh... the things that people are doing the options that people are being presented with but uh... those those three principles are first that there is an intrinsic connection between marriage and the transmission of human life so the first thing is that procreation should take place only within marriage Second, and this goes back to the Church's teaching on contraception and sterilization, which, of course, the Church has had to address that for centuries longer than it's had to address... um, uh, reproductive technology, but the principle that the Church developed as a result of centuries of reflection uh, on that topic is that the unit there are two meanings in marital love, two profound dimensions to marital love, the unitive uh, dimension and the procreative dimension and those two should never be. Uh, artificially separated by anybody, you know. There's that saying from Genesis: "What God has joined, let no man divide." And of course, that applies to marriage itself. But the church would say that applies to the, the to the two meanings of the marital act. And the third principle is the dignity of the human child. Each and every child should be treated as a person. Each and every, I guess, maybe to make the point clear, I could see embryo, fetus, you name it, should be treated with the dignity of a human person and never as a product. So with those um, three foundational principles, then, the Church addresses uh, a fairly wide range of technological options.
0: Well, and so people really need to know if if it's assisting the Marital Act, not so big a deal, that's because you kind of need a litmus test. But if you're replacing the Marital Act by science and that kind of stuff, that's a definite you're going against church teaching.
1: That's correct, and, and it is uh, a serious matter, you know. Uh, there, there's a saying that the corruption of the best is the worst um you know we know that uh when something is very powerful uh if it gets misused it causes even more problems you could take uh you know nuclear technology which could be used for uh power or the bomb or other things but when it's misused it has the potential to do great harm the ability to bring a new human life into existence to procreate to cooperate with god uh in that is a profound good and when it's misused uh... Then it's a real problem and it's it's really too bad uh, i would say in the first maybe ten to twelve years after uh... louise brown was born there were various attempts to to try to use technology that would have i suppose come closer to uh, at least separating, uh, replacing the marital act, I probably should say. Uh, but pretty much all of those have been abandoned now. So if a couple goes to a, a reproductive clinic, it's pretty much gonna be IVF and embryo transfer. I mean, that's, that's done 98, 99% of the time.
0: Yeah, and so people view children basically as their, their right to have children and they can do Whatever it's almost like uh, you know going to the store. I'll order what I want and I'll get what I want. They totally disregard church teaching, but at the at the demise or actually at the detriment to their to their children. I was looking online. There's actually a support group from for children who came from anonymous sperm donors.
1: There's there's a lot of things I would say that that the market does that feeds uh, certain kinds of behavior. So. Uh I think you know this is interesting when you look at the infertility rate in the population. Uh, it's come down a little bit, but it's ranged anywhere from 12 to 15 percent to the extent we've really measured it over the last, uh, say 40 to 50 years. I think, you know, I think decades or hundreds of years ago, uh, people didn't measure it. But 12 to 15 percent, and there are different things that feed into that. Unfortunately, some behaviors that our society encourages, Uh, feed into that infertility rate. I mean, one thing is the delay of childbearing. You know, people say, well, we have to wait till we get married. You know, we got to wait till we each have our, our jobs and our home bought and all that stuff. And then we have to wait till we've maybe gotten to know each other and settled down and save for retirement, whatever that is. And then when we're 35 to 40, you know, right now we'll think of having a child. That's one cause. Uh, uh, another cause, when people are sexually promiscuous and they get sexually transmitted diseases, uh, that those can scar a woman's fallopian tubes. And, you know, there's a lot of that around. But when people come to a clinic and they've been trying to have a baby, probably the most important thing on their mind is they they want to have a, a baby. There's a deep human desire uh, to procreate. It, it's a profound, uh, yeah, it, it's hard to get a deep enough term. It's not just like a, a preference or a want. It's a deep, deep uh, need. Well, God kind of put that
0: happens. in our hearts, right? He put that in,
1: it's, it's part did. of our DNA. He did. And then I would say, and it's a cause of tremendous suffering, when they cannot, uh, and then when they come to the clinic, it seems to me it's then that uh, a variety of things happen that can encourage them or or put them in the direction of uh, treating that child like a product you know the uh, part of this is pure economics you know it's very expensive it's probably i can't remember the latest figure but twenty to thirty thousand dollars at least for a woman to go through one attempt uh, at IVF, which involves uh... harvesting eggs preparing her body artificially all kinds of stuff it's very expensive so the the technicians say Well, we need to, we need to fertilize a bunch of eggs. We need to create uh a number of embryos so we can pick out the best some of these can be picked out uh just by line of sight under a microscope some are some are clearly healthy some are not okay well we'll discard all those so right there you know you have a form of eugenics taking place right um that's very important i think the other thing is no no doctor and certainly no reproductive technician wants to get sued if the outcome is less than desired, right? I mean, what, some of the most expensive lawsuits are when people have babies and the baby has a birth defect. I mean, that's... Uh, It shouldn't be this way, but often the doctor is going to get sued. Well, no reproductive technician is going to want to, you know, have a reputation for that, so they work on quality control. More recently, I would say, and you probably heard about websites like 23andMe uh, and things like that that you know you can send in your DNA sample and they'll they'll tell you uh, who your ancestors were and things like that. There are very powerful tools out there for genetic analysis. They're getting more and more powerful. They're getting marketed now to IVF clinics so that they can take uh, the DNA from one cell. And they can know a lot. And then they're coming to couples and saying, you know, you got to maximize. Wouldn't you like to maximize, you know, your options here? We can tell you about 20 different traits, you know, and they can tell things. Uh, odds for eye color and height and and any number of things. And then, they, you know, it's like they tell the couple, hey, it's your choice. And so I would say it's unfortunate because this deep human longing then I would say almost gets channeled through a number of commercial, eugenic, you name it, almost consumer preference uh, filters that, that really feed certain decisions in this area.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's going to like buying a car. You know, do you want to buy the EX or the LX and it comes with this or with that? And I think people forget, you know, we, we hear about the, you know, the harvesting of eggs and you, the eugenics that you mentioned. But first of all, a guy has to go into a clinic, watch pornography, self-pleasure himself. I mean, all, everything about this is just dirty and wrong.
1: Yeah, that's true. I mean, they they and like I said a uh, a few minutes ago, there are things that take place before and during and after uh you know, the 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 whole process of artificial uh reproduction or procreation that that add to uh the central problem, the central problem is uh you know, causing procreation to take place outside the context of the marital act, perhaps outside the context of marriage. And then there are a number of these other factors, as you said, including masturbation, that that just compound the problem.
0: Well, and we have people, and I, ha- I haven't read the book and probably never will, but I know Michelle Obama had come out with a book and talks about, I think both of her children were created through IVF. And then you just hear the horror stories of Of things that are going on there was a grandmother about I don't know five six months ago that conceived her own grandchild because her son was in a same-sex relationship and wanted a child I mean imagine trying to explain to this child all that went into getting him here and how he got here I mean just we you know people are struggling now with identity crisis I can't imagine how you explain this to children
1: yeah, and I think that case uh came out of Nebraska, right. you know, of all places. You would think you'd think something pretty weird like that would come out of California, you know, Greenwich Village, right. uh, I don't know where places like that, uh, and yet it came out of, I think, what most people would recognize as the heartland of the country. Uh, Yeah, 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 there there have been a number of these horror stories. You know, two things about what you, you tend to get in the media. One, you do get some of these horror stories if you will so these crazy things there's uh... another case that did come out of california and i don't know it was winding its way through the courts of where there was about a a man who was about fifty years old living in his parents basement decided that he wanted to be a father so contracted with a surrogate you know bought the gametes all that stuff so that he could have a child Turns out the woman, because when you do stuff like this, and there are efficiencies, so they'll implant a few embryos to try to make sure one survives, she ended up carrying triplets. And then the question was, well, he didn't want triplets. Right. He only wanted one baby and who do the babies belong to? So you a yeah, it, it, terrible, terrible thing. You hear that and then the other thing you hear and the media, I think really feed this, they find heroes. You know, they find people who are compelling to say, look at this person, you know, they're successful, uh, they're beautiful and they did it and it worked out for them you know, and there are ways that cultures sort of uh, tend to emphasize, you know, the core values or the dominant values. I, I should try. Uh, I should say, they they create heroes for people to look up to, and certainly in this area of artificial reproduction, they've done that as well.
0: Well, and not not to continue with the stories, but there was one more I just recently heard of a couple on the East Coast. Who got implanted uh, ended up having the babies they were Asian the babies didn't come out Asian they messed up and they put the wrong fertilized eggs inside the woman then the people whose children they really were ended up getting the children so the Asian couple didn't even get the children because they weren't theirs biologically there's a big lawsuit going on with that I mean the whole thing is just messy but you know one of the things we probably need to talk about just as a reminder If children are created this way, they still are children of God and they have an innate dignity. There's nothing wrong with the children themselves. It's the process, right?
1: That's correct. You know, there was some debate, I guess, early on that, you know, uh, by some people, I I think, going way back, you know, do these children have souls? Almost as if somehow they got the soul from the, the mom or the dad or both. But Catholics have certainly probably always believed it's certainly been articulated for hundreds and hundreds of years that the human soul is created by god because the human soul has a spiritual dimension that cannot be produced from matter so We believe that God, only God, can create the soul, and he does it in the order of creation when these human gametes, the eggs and the sperm, with their various components, come together materially. So the children themselves have a human nature, they have a soul, they have dignity, and of course, they have original sin as well. The children themselves are good and innocent, but I think as you mentioned a couple of minutes ago, uh, they themselves can suffer profoundly uh, based on some of the decisions of their parents. So based on the fact that their parents got donor eggs, donor sperm, The children want to know where they came from. That's a profound, you know, in addition to the desire to have children, the desire to know where you came from, who you came from, is deep and powerful. And it does have an effect on who we are. And to put children in the position of not being able to know that, uh, at a minimum, you know, can be a source of deep, deep suffering.
0: Well, it really just shows the selfishness of of humans who decide, you know, it's about me, and you know, we'll worry, we'll cross those bridges when we come there. But we want a child at any cost, and you know, hopefully, the kids are resilient; they'll be fine. And that seems to be the uh, attitude of the people that that do these type of things. And I I, I know they're hurting; they want it, but there's ways to help uh, facilitate uh, through some, some some drugs and those type of things. Uh, To help that when they do partake in the marital act, there's a greater chance of success But it's just sad that uh, we have such disregard for children that we think you know We can do whatever we want
1: Yeah, I think you said something important there uh, a second ago when when you said there are ways to help some people, not, not every last person, but to help many, many people who have turned to IVF, it's it's not always necessary. It's not only, it's not the only option. There are people out there doing some very good work, they've been doing it for decades, to understand human fertility and to work with it, to cooperate with God, to, to in a sense try to heal the body, not replace the Marital Act, uh, and to help people to have children. I I think probably the center uh, that has done the work and has trained a lot of doctors is the Pope Paul VI Institute uh, in Omaha, Nebraska. Dr. Thomas Hilgers has worked for, I think it's now, yeah, it's probably about 50 years Uh, as a, as an OBGYN and as a, as a doctor, as a scientist, as a researcher, uh, to understand and address, uh, factors that contribute to infertility. If it's scarring, uh, of tissue inside the woman, he's invented surgical repairs. If it is the body being out of balance uh, especially with regard to key natural hormones like estrogen and progesterone to, to be able to supplement those to increase a woman's chance of carrying uh, a baby to term. It, Hilgers has trained a number of physicians and, and they're out there in places uh, doing this good work and it's very important for people to know that, that there are other answers than what has become a very standard model of science taking over and sort of saying, okay, uh, you know, you you do what we tell you, we'll go back to our laboratory and we will produce, you know, what you want, what you pay us for, and so on. There are alternatives and people should know about them uh, and seek them out.
0: Well, we're down to the last 30 seconds or so. I can't believe it's gone this fast. How can people find out more talk to, uh, mention your webpage again because people can find out much more on this topic and many others.
1: It's NCB Center .org so i encourage people to um, to look that up i encourage them to check out the pope paul the 6th institute that's pope paul vi for the roman uh, numeral 6 popepaulvi.com and um, you know I think many people are touched by infertility. I hope Catholics can provide both a witness to the Church's teachings and a suggestion about where to find good alternatives.
0: Well, thanks, John. I appreciate your time. I mean, it's such an important topic that people just don't hear about enough to know the Church teaching right from wrong and be able to make a moral
1: decision on this type of thing. I appreciate you taking your time this morning. Thanks a lot. My pleasure.